Hey guys, how y'all doing tonight? Y'all already know it's your girl Bree with Potential Podcast Radio. Y'all, I hope y'all are having a better day than mine because my day has been absolutely weird. I'm not even gonna lie, it's been, yeah, a bit much, but um, we're not gonna get into that right now. Let's fast forward. So leaving off with Satan's story, part two, I'm going to give a ground cover of everything that was worked on um, during this time. So even though he at the time was getting testing for the trisomy 18 and the trisomy 13, During that time, I also went through one amniocentesis. I had about 15 ultrasounds, nine surgeries to consult with the doctors if possible, seven consults with the doctors as far as his life expectancy and what was going to change and what was going to possibly come 12 visits um to two different doctors two steroid shots i went through one heart attack i was numb on my left side of my leg so completely numb on the left side of my leg i could not get up to use the bathroom. I could not get up to walk to the other side of the room when I was in the hospital at some point in time. And I spent 28 days in total in the hospital um, alone. I was not allowed to have any visitors, but one um, barely kind of got any kind of yay congratulations you're having a baby yay just any type of positivity coming out of it and during the time that I was receiving the testing for his possible transition of the down syndrome At least that's what we thought at the time. He tested negative for those two. um, As I said in part one, which was great. And then... At that point, they started to notice small things. Whether it was my placenta one week was doing horribly where he wasn't receiving enough nutrients through the placenta or at that point his heart rate kept dropping and Zayden had um, bradycardia which pretty much means that his heart rate balances between 110 to 120 and stays there so he would always have a low heart rate and that was due to the fact that his heart he still had a small heart murmur and he was 
obviously underdeveloped at that point. Even while I was pregnant. I remember getting a call from the genetic counselor. And at that point, I had to go back in. And I think I had to do like four blood tests over before we got to the initial point of his genetic testing with everything that covered everything. I went into the hospital probably at my almost my seventh month. Yes, sorry, seventh month mark. And his heart rate dropped. And at some point he was not moving. So they wanted to rush me into the hospital, into labor and delivery. I got to labor and delivery and I delivered at Northside Gwinnett. And at that point, I just remember going blank mentally because I did not know what was happening. Um, I was pretty calm. Funny enough, a lot of my doctors and nurses have told me through the whole entire process that you have done a better job than what I would have done because I would have been flipping out right about now. And I couldn't do that because everything in me was saying, think positive, be positive, and know that he's going to be old. He's going to be okay. It's going to be hard, but he's going to be okay. And eventually they ended up getting his heart rate. So his heart rate fluctuated at that time. It was dropping between lower than 110. The lowest that it went was at 102. 89. And then it fluctuated all the way back to at least 120, 130s. And I was there for maybe about eight hours until they sent me home. Sent me home about a month later. Mind you, at this time during my pregnancy, Zayden is still moving around. He is still kicking and I can feel all of that. He's still responding to touch. He's still responding to his sister coming up to me, speaking to him. I was getting the normal baby response. I I got a call from genetic testing and they said it's not he 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 tested negative for the Dandy Walker syndrome. And at that point I got irritated because I didn't understand what was going on. If he did not have the Dandy Walker at that time, but yet there are parts of my son's brain that was still missing. We could not figure out what it is. We did not know what's wrong with this baby. And my genetic counselor is sitting here treating my son as a lab rat at that point because they were just taking blood testing from me left and right. What am I supposed to do with that? It was the most complete 
helpless, scariest pregnancy that I've ever gone through. Because in every single way, there was something wrong. There was nothing ever positive that came along. I finally ended up rupturing at 35 weeks. About, sorry, let me fast, let me rewind. Probably about, yeah, about 32, 32 weeks, I went into the hospital pretty early. I was in the hospital for about two months and I'm just sitting there losing fluid. I'm sitting there with my water just flowing whenever it wanted to. And in my sense, I thought that the baby could not survive without any fluid in the amniotic sac. Actually, I was wrong about that. Babies can actually survive in the amniotic sac with low fluid because they actually produce their own fluid. So a lot of us are thinking, oh my God, my water broke. Oh my God, my baby's still here. Oh my God, my baby's possibly going to pass due to there's no water in this sac. What is this baby swimming around in? Well, I had to ask my nurse that exact question and my ultrasound tech. And they brought it to my knowledge that they can lose. It's okay if they lose the fluid because they make their own fluid out of their urine. So yes, they are swimming in their own urine. They are swimming through the amniotic water. So anytime you are freaking out and you're getting an ultrasound and you're noticing, oh my God, my water is breaking and I'm going into labor. There's a huge difference between active labor, pre-active labor, and you're just at that point. You're just dilating. It's okay. With that being said... I'm over here panicking, thinking, oh my God, every week my baby is losing fluid. I'm this close to losing my son. When, to truth be told, I was not. Um, he was in there sucking his thumb, rolling around, putting his butt up in the air, doing everything a baby does in utero. At a certain point in time, the fluid around his sac was extremely low, where it did become concerning. And I just remember kind of, in a way, enjoying my time there because my nurses and my doctors made me as comfortable as possible due to the situation. I am literally sitting here watching my water break and I'm pregnant in this hospital I'm here alone I'm not receiving anything not gifts nothing not congratulations cards nothing other than calls from friends and family and I enjoyed 
part of it because it was that experience every every time I had to get monitored for them to check his heartbeat I got excited because that was the indication that okay he's still alive and then it was also every time I had an ultrasound I got excited because I got to see my baby and at one point I was concerned about the small things them not being able to see skeletal face them not be able to uh, see if his joints were short or long at one point I was told that he might have had dwarfism or at least he would be pretty short due to the circumstance of the bilateral club feet which meant that he would not be able to walk which most likely meant that he would be in a wheelchair and due to his situation that he would probably be a vegetable and I was also again told he's not going to be able to communicate with you. He will not recognize you as mom. He might not be able to hear you. And yet we are still at that point not knowing what is wrong with my son. They went ahead and did a genetic screening and tested it off to Marilyn because they wanted so badly to find out what was going on with him. And it took about maybe about a good couple of two weeks before we got the results for that. Eventually those results came back. And you guys, this is the part where it gets harder, much harder. They called in the neonatal, they called in NICU, they called in a bereavement counselor for me to talk to before my baby was born. They had also called in hospice before my baby was born. They also called in his pediatric cardio doctor. They also called in my GYN. And then they also called in two other neonatal specialists that came in as well. Mind you, these are everyone on my team, almost everyone. There's more, but I can't recall. At that point, I had one of the neonatal specialists. She came in to speak to me and she said, here are the things that we are viewing that is wrong with the baby. And this conversation is going to get tough. And this conversation is going to be extremely difficult. And I don't know what your reaction is going to be, but I hope that we get the best outcome from it. And she says to me, he he has pulmonary hypoplasia with his lungs, which meant that his lungs were so poorly developed that he might not be able to function after birth. He might not breathe after birth. 
he might come out stillborn. We might not be able to save him. And then I was also told that his lung development was at 8 percentile. 8. I'm going to say that again for those of you that probably did not understand. His lung development was at 8. For a normal baby to survive out of the womb, their normal lung development expectancy is at 32%. So we are talking about a baby who has extremely small lungs to the point where he's barely opening his, his lung. And it's barely functioning. And then we also have his kidneys who are, who it, it's just, sorry, getting tongue tied. We also have his kidneys that were now developing bigger cysts on his left side, which was also starting to transition to his right kidney. So at that point, I knew at some point in time, he's going to have kidney failure. Okay. And then his heart development with his heart rate was also still dropping. About a month later, after I got that news, again, during the day that I got that news, I cried every time they walked out of my room. Because, again, no one wants to hear that their child is going to die and it is a definite. And I had another conversation with another neonatal specialist. And I remember asking him specifically, is my son going to die? What is the percentage? And he said to me, there is a 99% chance that he will not make it. So that meant there was only 1% that he can possibly make it out alive. And with that, I did not know what to say. I wasn't angry. I was actually pretty numb with this whole process, which is why it seemed to the nurses and my doctors that I would be able to handle it, that I'm handling it perfectly fine. I would walk in and I'm talking as I'm talking to you guys right now. This was my tone of voice in the doctor's office, in the hospital, to these doctors, getting this information at the cardiac doctor. And they were just really shocked as to how well I was handling it. And I'm like, guys, I promise you, I am not handling it well at all. I go home and I'm having panic attacks. I go home and I'm crying and I'm sitting to myself. I don't know how to explain that this whole experience was completely mind-blowing and not in a good way. So... With the information that I got and with him telling me that for sure, I actually had a conversation with uh, his genetic doctor 
and I asked her what's next. At this point, you guys are not going to believe what's coming up. We are going to take a quick, a quick pause and we're going to get in part three of Zayden's story. And that is actually going to lead us to the end. Please stay tuned. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you guys have any questions, comments, please feel free. And remember to go ahead and email us at potentialpodcastradio at yahoo.com. Or please send a voice message at anchor.fm slash potentialpodcast. And click message. Please get to it, y'all. Thank you guys so much. And we'll be right back.